Okay, good evening. My name is Ryan Berry. I serve as a pastoral assistant here at UBC, and I'm a soon-to-be former pastoral intern. Um, okay, only the interns <laughs> laughed at that. Um, yeah, a little bit excited about that. Um, it's okay. Friends, it's a privilege to open God's Word with you tonight. So if you'd please open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 35, or it'll be in your handout there. Jeremiah 35, starting in verse 13. Actually, not starting. It's only verse 13. But before we get into our verse, I'd like for you to reach back in your memories with me and think about the American folk duo Simon and Garfunkel. Their hit song, Sound of Silence, everyone knows the opening lyrics. Those are not the lyrics we're going to focus on. The ones we're going to think about, I think, help us to picture um, kind of what the Israelites are facing in our text. Simon and Garfunkel speak about or sing about people talking without speaking, and more pointedly, people hearing without listening. People hearing without listening. The people in our text today, the Israelites, they refused to listen to God. They were consistently hearing God's words and the voices of prophets, but could not quite be stirred up enough to obey his word. So please follow along with me as I read our verse, and then I'll pray for our time this evening. Jeremiah 35, verse 13, reads this way. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words? Declares the Lord. Let's read it one more time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words? Declares the Lord. Let's pray. God, our Father, we give you praise for gathering us back together tonight to sit under your word and to both hear it and to obey what it says. We pray that you would allow us to do those things. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So a bit of context for the book of Jeremiah, especially chapter 35. Prophet Jeremiah was a priest who lived in Jerusalem for the last few decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. And as a prophet, he was tasked with warning the Israelites of the dangers and consequences of their flagrant continued disobedience against God. See, Israel broke their covenant with God by persisting time and time again in idolatrous acts, whether that be um, you know, adultery, corruption, theft, slander, even going so far as uh, practicing child sacrifice or temple prostitution, things like that. The list just goes on and on with Israel. And for those of you that are familiar with this book, you know of the horrifying scenes of judgment that show itself here. But despite those horrifying scenes of judgment, Jeremiah delivers one of the most beautiful uh, passages of the Old Testament in chapters 31 to 33, where he basically outlines and introduces this new covenant that is coming. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But moving on to our chapter, chapter 35, we're introduced to a people known as the Rechabites. The Rechabites are a group of nomadic people who, at the command of their forefather Jonadab, they refused to build houses, they refused to plant crops and vineyards, to drink wine, all of these things they did at the word of their father. So this family... The Rechabites faithfully kept the commands of their earthly father, so God 
goes on to use them as an indictment against Israel, he's making the point that the Rechabites, they were faithful to obey their earthly father, and Israel has utterly failed and been disinterested in keeping the commands of their heavenly father. So it's kind of like, how do you point out a crooked stick, but to put a straight one next to it? It's kind of what he's doing here. So what I'd like to do is offer, uh, offer up a uh, main point for us to consider, and then two uh, little points of consideration after that. So the main idea, I think, of our verse is this. Beware the danger of hearing without obeying. Beware the danger of hearing without obeying. And our two points of consideration from that idea are this. Simply, number one, God has told us what to do. Number two, God will hold us accountable for our response. Point number one, God has told us what to do. Friends, this is exceedingly evident across the whole of Scripture. See, even in the beginning, God dwelt with his people and instructed them. After the fall, he provided spiritual leaders, whether they be judges, kings, prophets, you name it. And then God himself would actually come and dwell among people, teaching. Jesus Christ would teach and then leave his word for all generations. Friends, God has never once left his people without a disclosure of himself. Even consider our own text where he says, will you not receive instructions or listen to my words? Friends, this implies that he has spoken to them. For how can someone be held responsible for not, re not responding to something if they've not been told? So God has told us what to do. Verse 15 of chapter 35 makes it even more clear where he says clearly, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently. And he indicts them again by saying, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. It's clear that these people did not offend God by their ignorance. No, friends, they offended God by their blatant disobedience to his clear commands. So point number one, God has told us what to do. And point number two is simply, God will hold us accountable for our response. Remember James chapter 2, verse 22? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's so clear that we must understand that merely hearing the word is not sufficient to please God. We've got to do it. And if we don't do it, and we believe that we're right with God just because we've heard the word, we're deceiving ourselves. Verse 17 of chapter 35 here says this, Behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken and they have not listened. I have called and they have not answered. This horrific destruction of Judah which is real, it's a real thing that happened. It was a horrific event that truly happened, yet it's still a picture of an even greater judgment that's coming. At the final judgment, God is going to pour out his righteous wrath on all who have refused to listen and obey to him. And he isn't merely going to judge us by our actions in public or our reputations in the community, but he's going to look at our hearts the things that we think about, the things that no one knows we think about, and he's going to judge them. I'd like to take a moment 
to any non-Christians who might be here. You would not hold yourself out to be a Christian. Friend, maybe you're here tonight and you've truly never heard the gospel. So you're saying, hear and obey. I don't even know what I'm supposed to have heard. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've heard the gospel many times, yet you've never obeyed what it commands of you. You have no desire to do that. Friends, if this is you, I'd like for you to just take a moment to hear. Not yet asking you to obey, just hear what the gospel is. This is what God has revealed to you. God is a creator and sustainer of the entire world. He created everything and all things were good. But mankind, after being created by God, sinned against him. We separated ourselves from God. We wanted to serve created things and admire created things more than the one who created them. And there's no good work that we can accomplish that can get us back to God. No matter how hard you try, you will never tip the scale. But God was rich in mercy and is rich in mercy. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute, to live a perfect life where we couldn't, where we refused. God bid us to live according to the law, but we refused. We pushed it away. We despised it. But God was rich in mercy and love toward us, that he came and lived that perfect life, the life we could not and would not live. And he died on a cross, taking upon him the weight of the guilt and shame of all who would come to believe in him for eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And now, and remember, this is all a gift of free grace that he gives to all. All who repent and believe. That's the obey part. So you've heard the gospel. Now you need to obey if you're going to receive the gift. Right? This is what we sang about just a moment ago. That marvelous, infinite, matchless grace that's freely bestowed on all who believe. It's truly a gift, but you have to accept it. Now, to the Christians in the room, trust that's most of us, I'd just like to offer an exhortation to always continue to strive in your obedience. So, repenting and believing is not like, okay, I've done these two things, I'm a Christian, I'm in heaven, now I get to live the rest of my life. But we actually are striving in obedience, but always with the settled knowledge that the the Holy Spirit that is indwelling in us is actually helping us to do that. He's keeping us. Brad, like you said this morning, the gospel certainly meets us where we are, but it does not leave us where we are. So as we conclude our time, I'd just like to offer a few kind of questions to reflect on and consider uh, for the Christians in the room to see if we're truly obeying maybe to the extent that we could be obeying. Let's consider these questions. How do you respond to the correction of a brother or a sister in Christ? Do you recoil in self-righteousness? Or do you thank them for their care for your soul? Do you give credence to your own spiritual stagnation or complacency by writing off a new Christian's zeal as 
maybe something that they'll soon grow out of. How do you respond to the correction of God in his word when it's preached? When challenged by God's word, do you actually consider how you might be mistaken or do you shove self-righteous fingers in your ears and make excuses? This one is also directly pointed directly at me. Um, How long does the conviction of the Lord's Day sermon linger before it's swept away? Does the excitement of a Sunday lunch with friends or your afternoon nap um, quickly take its rightful place on the throne of your heart? Or do you actually consider? How does God's word command that I obey? Maybe in a way that's altogether different than the way I was living before. Do you merely read your Bible or do you read with the intent to obey it? I trust many of us could tell us what we read this past week in our Bibles. But could you really tell me or tell your neighbor how it's actually made a difference in how you live? Friends, these are just a few things to consider. And as we go forward this week, I would urge you to do two things. Number one is read your Bible. Number two is to obey what it says. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your continued grace and mercy which you have poured out on us, your children. We thank you that even though we have sinned against you, we've hated your law. God, you are kind toward us. You are patient with us. We pray that you would keep us from sin, but remind us that if we do sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has redeemed us from the pit. God, we love you and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace.
Father, we praise you for your grace. We praise you that we have your word in our hands. We don't take your word scroll by scroll, book by book. We have it in a neatly compartmentalized book, and yet we neglect it. We might read it, but we don't obey it. Lord, convict our hearts to read your word, to study your word, to apply your word, and to help one another do the same thing this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.